My name is Paul Heyman, and I am the executive producer and talent coordinator of Extreme Championship Wrestling. It's a job that was given to me on September 18, 1993, by the founder of this promotion, Todd Gordon. It is therefore my responsibility to inform the public that with a heavy heart, earlier this week, ECW accepted the resignation of Todd Gordon as commissioner of Extreme Championship Wrestling. Citing increasing pressures as father of four children and running a family business, Todd could no longer assume the responsibility of being ECW's commissioner. We here at Extreme Championship Wrestling wish Todd nothing but the best in all of his future endeavors and want to let him know that we intend to make him proud as we carry on his vision of ECW. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast and I'm back in the time machine in September of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Three volumes for you this month, split over four parts. Volume number one takes us to the WCW looking at full brawl. Volume number two, part one takes us to the WWF looking at their ground zero pay-per-view. Volume two, part two takes us to the WWF again looking at their one night only pay-per-view in Birmingham, England. And we're here in volume number three to discuss all things ECW. I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, good afternoon. How do you, Bob? And a return for Kieran Mitchin. Kieran, hello. How are we doing, Bob? Oh, very well, thank you. There is one very big story uh, this month that I'm going to cover at the end of the news. But Chris, you can take us through everything else, and then we'll uh, then we'll, we'll tackle that at the end. So, a judge says Kulis doesn't have a case. New Jack and Aaron Kulis face each other for the first time since the infamous blading job last year in a courtroom. After 30 minutes, the magistrate judge heard testimonies from both sides, watched the tape of the incident from last year, and he ruled that there was not enough evidence of laws being broken for the case to move to the next stage, that being New Jack defending himself in the court against criminal charges. The judge said that looking for things that got out of hand in the ring, and it was a civil court, not a criminal court. ECW's lauded the judge's decisions at last week's show as a major courtroom victory. During hotline commentary, Styles has said that the conclusion of the judge and the prosecution is it's wrestling, wrestling, sports entertainment. Let's not dig any deeper than that. Styles also said that New Jack was clear of any charges and will continue to perform for the ECW. The Eliminators and the Gangsters are no more. In more detail, we'll go into why Saturn is no longer with ECW, but Mustafa has also confirmed that he has left. The Gangstonators are your new tag team champions, with New Jack and Cronus beating the Dudleys at as good as it gets. Former WF talent have joined the ECW revolution. Jerry Lynn, who was formerly known as Mr. JL, and the former Aldo Montoya, now going by the moniker of Just Incredible, have both made debuts this month, bringing much-needed boost to the talent roster. And finally, the ECW arena continues to concern me as a TARDIST. In a return to ECW ECW arena after six weeks, they have a new full house record of 1,600 people due to there being new bleachers added to increase capacity. Ah, yes, the older sentient ECW arena. It's constantly getting bigger and smaller. There we are. Yes, um, the one big story of the month, as you would have heard in the intro, uh, Todd Gordon has left ECW. Uh, This all comes as a, a backdrop surrounding a story regarding... WCW essentially going on this 
you know, call it a, a talent raid, a, a, a series of attempted talent acquisitions from ECW following their decision that next year they'll have a second live TV show and all the stuff that will come off the back of that. Um, <clears throat> WCW used Gordon basically as a go-between between, between um, themselves and some of the, or a lot of the ECW talent. Um, uh, largely unsuccessfully, as it turns out, the only deal they ended up making for any member of the ECW roster was Perry Saturn. Um, and even that didn't seem to be anything directly to do with Gordon or anything like that. Saturn ended up dealing with WCW directly. Basically, the story's coming out that Saturn wanted to break up the Eliminators perhaps as early as a year ago, and Heyman kind of kept them together because he, he wanted to build them as this, you know, the best tag team in the world. Um, and yeah, everything else surrounding Gordon, essentially there's this perception that Gordon and Heyman have both kind of got their guys in the ECW locker room, guys like Sabu and, and Van Damme and, and New Jack and people like that are kind of close to Gordon and then perhaps more the, the New York crowd, your Tazzies, your Tommy Dreamers, your Dudleys, people that, that are a little bit closer to, uh, a little bit closer to Heyman. Um, and essentially the story was that WCW had got in contact with Gordon with the idea that they might be able to use him as a way of bringing in a group of talent, you know, guys like Sabu, Van Damme, possibly Sandman, possibly New Jack, as scary as that might thought, and a few others. Um, and there was also this um, story that came out that apparently Raven had got in contact directly with Tommy Dreamer, um, and Dreamer apparently turned him down on the spot. Shane Douglas was also contacted. Uh, I'm not quite sure by who. Apparently Doug said to them, I'm not coming in unless it's for Scott Hall money. I mean, I, don't, I think I think Doug's is smart enough to know he's not going to get Scott Hall money, but I think it's more a case of, I'm not coming in unless I get equal amounts of control over my character. Um, other names as well, Chris Candido, they basically contacted everyone. WCW are looking to acquire whoever they can for this this added show. Um, but essentially, the, the, the fallout was Saturn's gone, um, but everyone else is staying. And Todd Gordon was essentially outed as this, you know, call it a mole if you like, whatever. Um, and there was a thought that one, Gordon, um, you know, why would Gordon do this? And one of the thought was is that the, the lifestyle and the touring just doesn't fit, you know, he can't really hang with it anymore. And there's a thought, well, you know, the only way to, to get out would either be to sell up or get forced out. And the fact that Gordon may have been angling for a, a, a guaranteed contact, a contract, sorry, with WCW as, a, as an on-air manager. That doesn't seem to be happening either, although quite how WCW would have presented an invading ECW faction against the NWO and WCW, I, I, I guess we'll never find out. Um, but yeah, essentially that was the deal, was that either the thought was that Gordon was looking for a, a quiet way out, an explosive way out, or a way out into WCW. What he's actually got, we're not quite sure of at the moment. Um, there's reports that you know, as much as Gordon has no uh, ownership stake in ECW anymore, Heyman bought him out a couple of years ago. There's his, uh, I think it's his jewellery business is still where they do a lot of their, uh, uh, ECW sell tickets there in Philadelphia and things like that. And I think some of the office related stuff goes on in there too. And apparently one of the, the, the knockbacks after all this happened was that someone in, some of the ECW guys went in and basically cleared out that, um, that office within that shop. Um, but in terms of the, the kickback on Gordon, not very much. What you heard in the intro was basically all that's been said on television. And even away from television, both parties have been relatively quiet in terms of 
you know, trying to make a big point about this, Gordon was, I think, in an interview with The Torch and basically said very little. He said that there's a, a lot of stuff being said and 90% of it isn't true, which kind of doesn't really make sense. You know, there's a lot being said, but if 90% of it isn't true, the other 10% can't be. But, you know, that's Gordon essentially saying a lot and saying nothing at the same time. And so, yeah, that's that's really where we're at. It's, it's uh, it, it perhaps isn't a, as significant story as it could, would have been, say, if Gordon had have successfully pushed Sabu, Van Damme and a few other guys uh, in the direction of WCW. Um, but Chris, a, a big story nonetheless. Yeah, um, it's that sort of level of the founding father deciding to take his ball and go and try and take the company down with him. Um, I think the funniest thing of this all was the the rumour that Douglas has come out and said he wants Scott Hall and Flair money thinking that, you know, he, he's worth that much is uh, it's a bit of a joke. Well, I, I'm not, I don't know. I, well, he may. I mean, this is Shane Douglas. He may believe it. But I don't know whether he basically just thought, uh, there's no point in me going to WCW because I've been through this in the WWF with uh, with Nash and Hall and guys like that. So the only reason for me to move is if I'm going to get so much money where either it's just worth it for the hell of it or if I get that much money, I might be able to uh, enact similar control to, to say, Hall. I mean, there have been stories that, you know, and again, you, you get a lot of smoke and mirrors and stuff like this, but stories that some talents are saying they're being offered kind of, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year, $300,000 a year by WCW, which I suspect is bollocks when you consider guys like Benoit and Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. I don't believe we're on that amount either. Go on, Chris. But yeah, it's it's one of those of I think this is definitely going to be one of those stories that plays out on the long term of what we see with Gordon from now. Um, I was surprised at how ECW dealt with it. You know, normally they are one of those of if they've got something that they can run with and make the scapegoat they normally would so obviously there's not massive amounts of animosity there I suppose it's probably because he only got Saturn um, it does mean that we no longer have the best tag team in the US with the Eliminators but you know who knows Cronus might go over and when uh, Saturn's back to full fitness so it, it's just one of those of, I think looking at it and sort of reading all the bits and pieces that have come out that obviously something's gone on between Heyman and Gordon for them to get to a point where they don't or cannot work with each other anymore. And I don't know if that was Gordon's chance of a last hurrah was to try and take the company down with him as he doesn't have any financial backing in it anymore now he's sold up. And as a complete fuck you to Heyman is to take your best stars. Or attempt to. Kieran, what do you think? I just think it's um, like Chris said. He's one of the, the founding guys. He probably think he probably thought he had more pull with some of the bigger guys than he actually turns out that he actually did. Um, so I suppose the reason, just to elaborate on what Chris was saying, just the, the reason they probably haven't run with it or anything is because uh, maybe Heyman knew that he wasn't going to be able to take that many guys with him, so he didn't make that much bigger deal about deal about it and just let it played out in front of the you know in front of the wrestling community. Um, and then Gordon, I, I, I see Gordon's position as being a bit weak almost. I don't want to say he hasn't got any sort of sway, but he's kind of in like a bit of a no man's land at the minute. Well, I mean, 
it, it really depends on what you think about or, 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 or what we know about what his role is these days in the sense that, you know, if he's not got any real financial investment, essentially his his only real role in ECW is one kind of helping out um, and, you know, that kind of thing, all the stuff I spoke about regarding his business. And two is just Gordon, the on-screen character, who's around quite a bit, and I suspect he's kind of, you know, he's their unofficial commissioner, not they really have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I just wonder whether, you know, if, if if Terry Taylor gives you a phone call and says, look, you know, if you can if you can get together three or four guys and we can bring them all in, we might bring you in too. And you're like, well, guaranteed $100,000 contract a year for, you know, a couple of flights a week doesn't seem like all that stupid. And, you know, if you're, if you're Gordon, you know, maybe that doesn't sound like a bad idea. And there was also the... This was actually an interesting little test in the sense that morale in ECW I don't think has been brilliant all year. There was the perception that the the payouts after the first pay-per-view were, were kind of so low to the point where, you know, a lot of guys might have gone, well, this just isn't worth it anymore. Particularly while WCW were offering guaranteed money. And it's interesting that there's, there's some names in there that you might think, you know, Chris Candido, you know, Candido hasn't been there before, and you know he's undersized. But equally, there might be a place for him. Um, there's other other names that uh, have been mentioned. In this because it seems like they went after almost all of them. Like you yeah. know, I oh, said before. I said before that I, you know, guys like New Jack, you can't imagine on a, a nationwide stage, and I still can't. Um, but apparently, they went after him as well. And some guys that you're like the Dudleys. Well, I don't know the Dudleys are ready yet. I mean, we, yeah, I I would argue as much as the the Dudleys might have a little bit more than the public enemy. The public enemy were a lot more polished when they went to WCW, and they've not really gone anywhere. Um, so it does seem like WCW were just trying to, you know, hoover up some bodies. I think there's also a little bit from a an Eric Bischoff standpoint that Bischoff, as much as publicly he's kind of pro-ECW, it's all a little bit thinly veiled. And I think given that ECW have kind of sided with the WWF a little bit, um, a little bit, I wonder whether, you know, I don't think Bischoff is, is all that bothered if they, they take their stars. They've done it with Raven and Richards already. Um, and yeah, Kieran, go on, more thoughts? No, I was, just, I was just saying, I think it also might be that, similar to, given like, like a sporting analogy, you know, where it's sort of like, Heyman might have gone to these guys. He's got, maybe he got wind of it early, and that's why nothing, nobody even really looked remotely like going. And Heyman's just said to them, Look, there's a lot. To, I think there's a lot to be said for loyalty. I know, you know, wrestlers jump federations sometimes at the drop of a hat, but I think it also shows that these guys are quite loyal to Heyman in a way. Because you said, you know, there was a few in the Heyman camp, there was a few that were supposedly in the Gordon camp, but it's ended up that only one guy's gone, and I think it just shows there's a bit of loyalty. And maybe some of these W, these ECW guys looked at it and just said, "What? Where shall I, shall I stay in a company where I'm loved and?" I like to work here, I like the fans, it's not as much money, or do I want to go to a B show, in effect? We don't know exactly what that show's going to be like. And am I just going to get swallowed up and end up nothing, and ultimately I'd go, you know, come back to ECW with my tail between my legs? Maybe there's something into that. Yeah, I think the big winners here are some of, some of the ECW talent have actually been given new contracts so they can't just be hoovered up as as this is showing. So I know the Dudleys have now been given new contracts out of this and there is rumour that RVD, Sabu and uh, Tommy are all getting new deals as well. 
They were the so three. Much. They were the three for me, Chris. Those those are the ones. I thought there's got to be something else there because those. Th- I thought WCW would actually like just bend over backwards to try and get those three, especially. But the thing is, the well, new I... deals that they've got from ECW aren't going to be anywhere near the sort of values of the branded amount numbers from WCW. But I suppose it gives them a little bit of stability of they know they've got a job until whatever date is on them contracts. Yeah. And it gives them freedom to work, you know, Japan and, and places like that. Not that you can't in WCW, but it's a bit structured. Um, there's also the thought that, you know, Sabu has been in WCW before, wasn't there for very long, but that, that didn't go all that well. I know there were problems on both sides of that deal when that happened in late 95, early 96. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting story, but I think Kieran touched on a good point. It's interesting to see the, you know, a lot of guys, as I say, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, where, where's these, you know, it's not like the second pay per view was a roaring success. The outlook in ECW is okay, but it's not brilliant right now. As, as the bigger than they ever were, but that's always going to trail behind everything else. That's always going to take three, six, nine months to, 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 you know, fall off, I suppose. Um, you know, ECW's house, house numbers being strong right now are as a result of stuff they did, you know, six, 12 months ago. Also talks that the show we're reviewing this month, as much as there were more tickets available than ever before, they had to paper it a little bit and give out a significant discount. So they've never had to do that before. Um, so it's not like the outlook in ECW is brilliant. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, I think it's interesting that, as I say, if I'm a guy like Chris Candido, if I'm a guy like, you know, um, I, you know, I think Sabu may know what WCW is like on a bad situation. I wonder whether someone like Van Damme maybe thinks that he can still find his way back into the WWF if he needs to as well. Um, but guys like Candido and a few other names like that, maybe Taz, like it's, you know, that seems like an opportunity. Um, but I suppose so is, uh, so is ECW. Chris, any more thoughts so we move on to the series? I think, I think we sort of, it's, with, with stories like this, it's always going to be what comes out in the next few months. You know, it's all a bit speculating at the moment. It'll be once once things start coming out, we can really see what was going on and what what the real sort of fallout from this is. We certainly will. Right. So we got a, we got a, uh, an ECW live event to review, but that's a bit later in the month. We've also got the main event of a, uh, a Terry Funk uh, kind of oh, it's a farewell show. That kind of was actually from Amarillo, Texas. Terry Funk gets Bret Hart. Um, so yeah, Chris is going to do I think one TV or two. Then we're going to do the Funk Bret Hart match from that show in Amarillo. Then another TV, and then we'll do uh, the live event, which will basically close out the show because the final TVs of the month are basically all going to be covered on the uh, as good as it gets live event. So Chris, take us through the first TV. <laughs> Get the f*** out of here! 
question. What's about that? Now, you don't want to cooperate, I understand. But, let me say something. I have been fed up with everything here that's going on in ECW in the last couple of weeks. Poorly, everything else has driven me up the wall. They don't realize that I am a broadcast journalist. That I used to work for the World Wrestling Federation and I don't get the, what I deserve, the respect I deserve. And by the way, I know some people there still and in this business, you shouldn't burn bridges and I know we'll put in a good word for you somewhere down the road if you'd like that. from Skidmore College, but I wouldn't expect anyone here to know about it, because unless it ended in a CC community college, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. And finally, you guys want to wonder why I was in a helicopter at the pay-per-view. It's because I could afford it, because being from Greenwich, Connecticut, I could just about get Week 1's TV opened up with a tag team match between the FBI and Chris Chetty and Spike. Seeing Chris Chetty and Spike winning after miscommunications between Rich and Smothers. Seeing Rich getting punched in the face with a chain. We then get a promo from Chris Candido saying that it wasn't him that got the WWF banner for Sabu and Taz. And says that he is ECW. He also challenges Dreamer and Bueller for a tag team match against him and Sonny. We then get a show-closing match between Sabu and the new entrant of Bobby Duncan Jr. Duncan wins this match by DQ as RVD got involved, but as with most of these matches, it all came down to post-match interest. After the match, they put him through a table and then did a triple jump splash. This brought out Tommy Dreamer, who evened out the odds. Sabu and RVD beat Dreamer down. Sabu does his usual high-flying antics. Tommy then uses a DDT onto chairs and a frog splash for a table. This then gets to the point where Taz comes out and he then puts 
the Fonzie in a Taz mission to close the show. Week 2's TV opens up with Taz in the ring calling out RVD and Sabu. He's getting interviewed by Lance, who then cuts an awesome rich boy promo until Taz Taz flexes him and puts him in the Taz mission. We get a singles match between Tracy Smothers and Cronus, with Cronus winning with a 450. The Dudleys are in Dudleyville, and Gertner tells Cronus that if he challenges Big Dick Dudley and wins, he can then find a tag team match. We get Shane versus a Rick Rude pick again. This time it's Axel Rotten. Shane wins with the belly to belly. We then get Sabu versus the Sandman. This doesn't get going as Sabu jumps off the stage with a beer bottle smashing it over Sandman's head. This brings out Tommy. RVD comes out and the usual weapons brawl commences. Taz then comes out at the end and batters everyone. Taz then challenges Tommy Dreamer to a title match for his TV championship. We then get what we've already heard with the Paul Heyman telling everyone that Todd Gordon has left. Yes. Uh, now to break up uh, a couple of TVs, we we head to Texas uh, for the what what they're kind of called Terry Funk's WrestleFest, the uh, fifty years of Funk's show in in Amarillo, Texas. And for what Funk is at least saying, he's going to be his final match uh, in the in the city. Um, they're in the the fairgrounds. I think it was nearly four thousand people there. You know, state the obvious. Terry Funk is popular in Amarillo. Um, and while this wasn't uh, it wasn't actually an ECW show, they were sort of promoting it. Joe Styles did commentary on the home videotape, and there were a lot of ECW matches and talent on the undercard. But we're only going to focus on the main event because it is Terry Funk against Bret Hart, um, which is noteworthy if nothing else. Um, so yeah, we're going to do my. Uh, we do basically a, a, a full match review here. It's quite a good one, actually. So it's Terry Funk with Dory Funk Jr. versus Bret Hart with you know, uh, about three of his brothers, I think, with special guest referee Dennis Stamp in a no disqualification match. I say the obvious here when I say Funk got a phenomenal reaction before the match begins. The ring fills the members of Funk's family and the locker room. Paul Graham, uh, Paul Heyman grabs the mic. He actually introduces ECW to the Texas fans. He says the promotion was put on the map by Terry Funk. They present him with a championship belt, may all be the ECW title, and Heyman says that Funk is the lifetime heavyweight champion of the world. The ring clears full of people, or empties of people rather. Brett grabs the mic and starts getting a load of booze. He says he's honoured to be here tonight to work with the greatest wrestler in the history of the game. He finishes by saying he's going to give him a Canadian ass whipping. Well, need to get booed somewhere, I suppose. Funk has a chin lock stitched in. Both the manager pin attempts in this position. Funk hits a fireman's carry throw into another side face lock. The ring is surrounded by photographers. Funk shapes for a spinning toe hold and Brett scurries to the floor. Some punch in the corner for his first sustained piece of offence in the match. We're on the apron. Hart cinches on the neck, uh, on the neck and then punches Funk in a seated position. We go to the corner and it's all Brett now and he's working the leg. Funk starts rallying his usual drunken stupor. Brett grabs a chair and continues working the leg. Brett attacks Funk on his knees. Funk is now full-on drunk Funk as he wildly swings at Brett and then collapses as Brett locks in a figure four. Grabs onto the ropes for extra leverage. Funk shimmies to the core and goes after Brett. Brett can't get out, but what? Uh, but Brett can't work out which one, but it's Bru... Oh, fuck. Try again. Funk shimmies out of the core and goes after Brett's brother. I can't work out which one of them, but it's probably Bruce. Stu is out there also. 
Funk rallies again, rides a couple of punches and knocks down Brett with a left and another. Funk then hits a DDT. Funk hits a pile driver. Bruce puts Brett's foot on the ropes. Not that it really matters because it's no DQ and Brett kicks out anyway. Brett goes for the turnbuckle figure four. I'm surprised there's room on the outside. You know how many photographers there are there. Brett gets into a showy match with the referee. Funk calls for a chair and cracks it off of Brett's knee. The ref disposes of the chair, so Funk asks for another one, gets, which gets thrown in from the crowd. That gets cracked over Brett's knee as well. Brett gets laid on the table on the outside. Funk does a reverse splash off of the second row, but Funk crashes through an empty table as Brett moves. Funk grabs a hold of Brett's leg and recovers to a standing position. Brett throws some punches, but Funk holds on. Brett falls and Funk goes for a spinning toe hold. Brett goes for an inside cradle and almost takes it. Funk hits a belly-to-back suplex for a pin. Brett kicks out, but Funk doesn't as his shoulders are on the mat, and Brett wins, which is a, which was an interesting finish, but not all that particularly got over easily with the crowd. After the match, there's a handshake from Brett and Funk. Brett gets a load of bruise, and Funk says he loves everyone. Kieran? Um, yeah, I, I thought this was a really, really good old-school match. You know, plenty of back and forth. I don't think there's anyone better in... A, one thing I took away is probably... I've reviewed a few Brett matches now on the show. I think I've ever said, is there anyone better at working over an opponent than Brett Hart? I don't think there is. The the, the guy... I know it's a, it's a redundant point, but he's just so clinical. Every move is just on point. Um, Terry Funk does his... Sells like an absolute beast. He's dripping with blood again at the end, and the only thing that let it down was a bit of a non-finish at the ending. And like I said, Terry Funk was so over, Bob. I thought he surely got a win, but I suppose after the, the amount of punishment he took, I suppose that's kind of it was just the way the you know the way the ending happened just took it down a peg. But I just thought just a really really good old school match, and and they gave him plenty of time as well, which was really good. Chris, yeah, um, as Kieran said, obviously Brett was the star in this match. Um, seeing lots of Funk recently, we have seen it and sort of gone, he really passed it. So seeing Brett carry him to a, to the type of match that Funk looked good in is always good. Um, obviously, I know the old adage of you always go out on your back is a thing and it's sort of the, the way that Funk would have been brought up and knows to, to deal with. But the way of the finish, I thought, wasn't great because if you're sitting even further than sort of maybe the first few rows, you wouldn't have noticed that Brett had had his shoulders up on that double pin. Um, so Wait, well, it wasn't that. I just don't think you would have noticed that Terry Funk was in a pinning position. Like, I watched it and assumed Brett kicked out, and he did. But I, I don't think people saw that and went, oh, there's a double pin going on here. Mm. So, obviously, you know, that that's the only sort of downfall is how it finished. Um, obviously, the Hart brothers, I I commend you for working out which one was which or who was who out there. But I was guessing. They, they <laughs> were think, definitely putting Bruce. themselves over. It's always Bruce, isn't it? I mean, that's the joke, right? It's an alien one. Yeah. <laughs> Though I did like how they dressed up for the occasion in full c- Canadian tuxedos. <laughs> But yeah, no, it, it's it's a good sort of ending for Funk. You know, he's gone out against the WF champion in his home city. Um, I don't know if he's got anything else that he's doing for the rest of the year, but I'm hoping, obviously, of seeing Funk retire in '89, for that to not actually happen. 
I'm actually hoping that this time it is a proper retirement and he is done. Definitely. And he doesn't look good anymore, does he? Oh, I mean, this, 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 this was a far, this was a good match. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. It was a, it was kind of very different to what we usually do. It was a throwback, really. Um, yeah, the opening five six minutes were, by today's standards, incredibly slow. Um, not that you know the, you know, not that that played off badly. The crowd loved every minute of it. I would say, you know, in terms of this was a, this was probably quite an old school crowd that would have seen Funk there for years. Um, the match built, it was Brett doing his, his Brett working over the leg, which was fine. Um, but Funk these days is kind of just a bit of a punching bag. And so that's just the story. Um, you know, and he still did the, he still did the bit with the kind of reverse splash of the second rope through the table, you know, RIP his knees. Um, but yeah, like I, you know, another, a very nice send off. It, it got the right treatment. You know, I mean, you, you can't really criticize much else in terms of, you know, the, this is a, this is a fair old show to Funk. I doubt anyone's really booking this show at all. I suspect Funk and, and Brett worked it out and they, you know, Funk said, I'm going to put you over and Brett's like, well, I don't want you tapping out in your hometown. So let's do a, let's do a 50 50 finish, which is fair enough. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a really nice match. Um, again, it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't put this match on top. I don't think you put this match on pay per view in 1997, if I'm But given the audience and given the situation, it, it worked really well. And I think it was great for Funk to be able to get you know Brett as his as his last opponent in Amarillo. Um, you know, if Brett's not the best right now, he's pretty damn close. Um, and that it felt like a really big match, and yeah, like the finish was what it was. I so I suspect Funk was like, "Well, there's no way I'm beating you here," and Brett's like, "Well, there's no way I'm having you tap out." So that's the finish they came up with. Um, I think it was fine, but anyway, a nice little sidebar on a on a, on a sort of ECW show, not really. I don't think you can call it an ECW show. And Hayman had to introduce it to them in the uh, out of the main event. Uh, Chris, take us to the third TV of the month. So, week three's TV opens up with Shane Douglas promo saying that he has the belt, the girl, so he runs wrestling. We then get uh, the Terry Funk retirement promo. We then have the match between Big Dick Dudley and Cronus. Cronus winning with the 450 splash, and thus meaning he gets his tag team title match. After the match, the Dudleys beat him down until New Jack comes out with his usual array of weaponry. We then get the debut of Jerry Lynn going against Chris Candido. Chris Candido wins with a double underhook superplex. This match is really, really good. And if you can get hold of the TV from the week three, definitely get your way to watch it just for this. We finish the show with Taz versus Tommy Dreamer for the TV title. But it's thrown out really quickly as RBD and Sabu come down and attack both Taz and Tommy. After this, Taz puts his Tazplex... Sabu through a table. Sandman comes down and gets laid out. But at the end of the show, Taz and Tommy are on top. And that will take us to the ECW as good as it gets. I suppose I should the uh, should bring up the results unless anyone's got them to hand. Give me two seconds. I have got them on a one of. Oh, it's the. Uh, there we go. Let's start on. We're all Just waiting for it to load. There we go. So, oh, the results. Tag team match. The FBI defeated Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney. Just Incredible defeated Jerry Lynn. Chris Candido defeated Lance Storm. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Spike Dudley. In a ECW World Heavyweight title match, Shane Douglas beat Philip Lafon. 
In an ECW television title match, Taz beat Pitbull number two. Sabu versus Sandman was a no contest. Viola McGillicuddy and Tommy Dreamer versus Bill Alfonso and RVD was also a no contest. Viola McGillicuddy defeated Bill Alfonso, and in an ECW World Tag Team match, the Gangstonators defeated the Dudley Boys. Yes, the uh, the Gangstonators, if you're wondering, is the uh, what's what's left of the uh, the gangsters without Mustafa and the Eliminators without Perry Saturn is the team of New Jack and Sean Cronus. Kieran, what do you think of this show? Well, can I just say, Gangstonators is the worst name for a team I've ever heard. But well, well, anyway. I think I think that is the idea. I, I think you know, <laughs> this is a show that debuted a character called Just Incredible, so the bar's pretty low anyway. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a that's a that's a pun and a half. That come on, Bob. yeah, but it's not it's, it's not a good name though, is it? But no, I think I think the the idea is that it's you know it's it's Gangstonators isn't meant to be good. Is he just incredible, or is he just in and I'm credible? Which one is it? Well, you know, it's just that his first name is Justin. That's the idea, right? And his second if, you say, if, you, if you say it quickly, it sounds like you're saying just incredible, but the actual space is between the N and the C. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. It's not the most seamless piece of work ever. No, but, you know, <laughs> I've been a bit facetious there. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was all. <coughs> oh, sorry. But the show over, it was it was okay. There was a few there's a few good spots, but like with a lot of the ECW pay per views that I've watched, there's just there's just too much of these sort of non finishes, no contest running schmozzes, whatever. I, I was re- really looking forward to the Lance Storm Candido match, um, and also how the Alfonso and the Beulah that match was going to play out. But overall, it, it was it was an okay show. There was nothing brilliant, but there was, and there was nothing truly terrible. Chris, this show lives up to its name. This shows ECW as good as it gets. We've got some amazing wrestling matches. We've got weapons brawls. We've got stunts, and we've got you know the usual level of sort of smoz finishes that are accustomed to WCW or ECW at this time. It's one of those of I think I think it sort of is after the pay per view last month, it is definitely a better show than what we got then. And I liked that pay per view. Yeah, interesting that, you know, reading that after last month's pay per view, Paul Heyman um, you know, essentially kind of wanted to move ECW back towards a bit more of an in-ring product. And this was a, a card that certainly showed that up. When you look at, you know, a few new names, you know, they brought in Aldo Montoya from uh, from the WWF. Phil LaFon is here, as I understand it. That's a, that's a very short-term deal. The Pitbulls coming back was just a bit more of a one-off. Apparently, that to get that came together um, last minute. I don't believe there are any plans to use them long-term. But felt like one of those ECW shows that was a little bit of a reset, um, and often those can be quite good because ECW, like, because they're because their rosters so small and because their TVs are so often live events that are generally you know putting the same talent against each other over and over again. At times it feels like you're watching the same guys wrestle each other all the time. So it's nice when you get a little injection of new names. And it's nice when they move a few things about as well. Um, couple that with the fact that some of the names they brought in are, are, are pretty good workers. And I think this is one of the better ECW shows of the year, I would argue. 
Um, but we will see. We start with the full-blooded Italians, Little Guido and Tracy Smothers with Tommy Rich, versus Axel, Rotten and Balls Mahoney. Axel and Balls are out with flags that sort of look like US flags, but they aren't. They're, uh, they're the Marilyn Manson, Antichrist Superstar flags. Right. Thank you. I'm glad, glad someone, someone on the show understood that reference. I didn't. Right. The ref tries to ward off the steel chairs. That doesn't seem to go too well. Tracy Smothers is introduced as being from Nashville, Italy, as if this gimmick couldn't get any worse. He then starts <laughs> dancing. Guido cows in the corners. Balls lines up a swing. Balls works the arm and tags in Axel. Axel channels, just, uh, channels Dusty Rose, hit a bionic elbow on all three of them. Joe Styles' Dusty Rose impression leaves a lot to be desired. Both the faces axe the heels with a lariat. The FBI do a double team move on Axel, followed by a double elbow drop. They celebrate by kissing each other on the cheek because, you know, they're Italian. Fans respond to this by chanting faggot at them. A chin lock by Smothers on Axel. Axel ra- ra- rallies, but Smothers floors him with a fist and a drop kick. Balls tags in and a hot crowd get their dueling balls and nuts chants in. The action so far hasn't left the ring. Balls hits a sit-out body slam on Guido. He goes to the pin and gets the three, except Smothers puts his foot on the ropes. The ref eventually restarts the match. Balls gets rolled up by Guido and the FBI win the match. Afterwards, the ref gets on the mic, insults the crowd and says that mistakes happen. He goes balls. He says that he's the best ref in the United States. John Finnegan gets in the ref's face. The ref slaps him and Finnegan slaps him back. Finnegan awards balls and axle the match and then the ref eats a chair shot. Chris? This was as good as you'll get a match from the FBI. Um, they, They lived their purpose and they do it well. They are literally... The, the sort of jobbing southern old school tag team um and yeah it was a it was a decent opening match um i think balls and axel together have finally found something that they can do that uses both of them because obviously we've had axel's been sort of floating around doing nothing really since ian left and balls yes had a decent sort of start with his joining the company but hasn't really done anything since so these two together, I like. And um, obviously, this new whole thing with this ref getting above his station and sort of being the heel. I suppose, you know, we don't have a commissioner now, so mm. we can have a ref that thinks that he's above everyone. Yeah, the ref thing just felt a bit weird, but there we go. Um, you know, I guess, you know, maybe I, hit, uh, you know, I haven't had a heel ref since the, the run of Alfonso, so, so, uh, so maybe. Kieran, what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd just say I like the, the ref stuff after the match was just a bit, like I said, it was a bit weird. But the match, it's the match itself. I thought the um, the FBI just played the the heel. They 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 sort of one of their teams again. The old Heyman adage, you know, sort of hide your negatives and accentuate your positives. They they play the heel role absolutely perfect. Um, and I was quite concerned. I thought of the way it was going, the way they were sort of building up. Balls and Axel that it was going to be some kind of almighty squash of this team, but in the end it was just it was a really enjoyable match. It was just the ref stuff after it was just a bit. Just, I was just like, oh, okay, then I, I, I don't mind having heel refs, but do we need all this other stuff with the refs? But the match itself was fine, absolutely fine. 
Yeah, match all right. Hot crowd. Um, lots of them, obviously. Um, yeah, the work was okay. As I say, it was one of those matches that, that probably achieved more by doing less. Like, I didn't try a lot in this match. Mm. Um, and that helped. It was just a, a quite prototypical tag team match. And, you know, all four guys looked out a little bit stronger than they did when they came in, which is all you can really ask, I suppose. The, the rest of the end was a bit weird. Like, I, I don't know whether that's going anywhere. I haven't really heard from that referee before. Um, yeah. Well, uh, we shall see. Joe Styles opens the show. Well, yeah, opens the, the show that he's on TV. Out comes Jason. He's looking resplendent as ever. Jason says he's showing appreciation for the ECW fans by leaving. Nope. Although Joe got really excited at the prospect. Jason introduces his new find, the Portuguese man of war, Justin Credible. So next up, it's Justin Credible with Jason versus Dynamic Jerry Lynn. Credible hits a hard chop in the corner. He goes Lynn out of the corner, but hits a thumb to the eye before he can get a punch in. We get a crossover. Jason pulls on Lynn's leg. <coughs> so Lynn has to hit a crossbody to the outside. Credible goes for a move off the top and lands chest first on the guardrail. We get on the guardrail. Lynn hits a bulldog to the floor, then goes to the top and hits a plancher. Credible hits a spinning release powerbomb in the ring. We go for a chin lock on the mat. The crowd chant boring. Jason chats up the camera. Lynn gets back into his uh, sleeper but quickly escapes with a jawbreaker. Lynn hits the DDT, then a side slam, then a second rope leg drop for a near fall. He hits a sit out powerbomb. Credible hits a sunset flip from the top, returns to the top, and Lynn hits a lovely Hurricane Rana. Credible hits a spinning tombstone, then a swinging DDT, and that will do that. Kieran? Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Jerry Lynn, but for one, I'm not a fan of what he was wearing, all this new look, or even the new... I don't like the dynamic Jerry Lynn thing. I just don't think that suits him at all. But I'm not going to completely condemn this match, because I thought in places it was it was a bit sloppy, but there was some... You know, they did try a lot of stuff, and they did try and get Justin, you know, to try and get some reaction from the crowd. It's not quite there yet. I think um, if he keeps at it, though, he could get some real heat off the crowd, I think. Um so it was it, again. It was an okay match. They just they did try a lot of stuff. It was just so, at points it was just a bit sloppy, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible in any way, shape, or form. And they got a decent amount of time. I think it was like I think they got over ten minutes for this one. So they gave it a bit of time as as well to get the two guys warmed up, get some chemistry going. So that was good. Chris, I really really liked this match. Um, Justin sort of has. We didn't see what he could do when he was Aldo Montoya. Um, obviously, the masks did hide the fact that he's a rat-faced little looking oik. But that sort of look will really, I think, will really work in ECW because he's got the face of someone that you must hate. Um, I think the, the the spinning tombstone should have been the finish of the match, not the neck breaker. Because you know it's a move like a tombstone. Obviously, I know in the in the Fed it's protected because it's what the Taker does. But you know it does. It has the sort of look of a move that would finish a match. Um, Jerry Lynn, obviously, we've seen bits of him in WCW. Um, we always knew that he was good, but you know he was always used limited limited to be, so he couldn't really show everything that he can. I think here in ECW, they will take the reins off him and let him go. Um, he's one of those of I'm not thinking oh I want to see Jerry Lynn sort of do well for himself I'm thinking I want to see Jerry Lynn and RVD I want to see Jerry Lynn and Sabu to see the sort of things that they can do together more than seeing him against a Sarah Shane Douglas or someone like that so 
I think both of these guys have got massive upside, and I really want to see more of them. Yeah, they, I, I take it this is going to be a bit of a feud then. Well, I, well, I, hope, I hope it is. Ah, uh, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I think just on a more general point, like yeah, this was a this was a fine match. I don't know; it's necessarily much better than anything you might see on a on say on Nitro or something like that. Um, I think the difference is is that you you give the you give them ECW more credit and more time with, with with acts and matches like these because you know that they're not likely to forget them. If you'd have seen a match akin to this on Nitro, you'd have forgot about it because it's like, well, WCW don't really care about it. I can see that if you know if 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 Justin Incredible's coming on a similar type deal that Al Snow's coming on, then Heyman's going to work over him. Lynn very similarly. The match was fine. I think you're probably overstating it a little bit, but both of you, I don't think it was a it was a a memorable match in any way, but it was fine. And you know, it's compared to where ECW matches normally are. These these two already slot in as two of the better workers they've got. Um, but it's still a pretty cold match. But I think, as I say, it's the 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 key thing is that you trust ECW to go somewhere with both of these guys. Yeah, you know, even though Credible One and Lynn lost, if they're both going to be around a while, I feel like if Heyman's got them for three to six months, he'll get them somewhere. Um, and that's why matches like these matter. Jason's back on TV. He'll be managing um, just incredible. Though his might work was fine. You know whether I'd be having him coming out and say, you know, I'm one of the best. I don't know yet because I don't think he is, and that's not a that's not necessarily the best look either. Um, but yeah, like they they need guys like this around just because they. You know, even if the guys that are selling the tickets are Sabu and Taz and Tommy Dreamer, you don't want shitty undercards all the time. Um, and these two, for the short term at least, are going to be a good little placeholder in the in the middle, I think. But but there we are. Move on next. Speaking of uh, speaking of kind of wrestling talent, we move on next to Lance Storm versus Chris Candido. Storm still has that rat tail for those keeping score. Lots of impressive wrestling to start with Storm hitting a Frankenstein and an armbar to some applause. A crossover, Storm does a backward leapfrog onto Candido's shoulders. He catches him, spins him around and nails him with a powerbomb. That was excellent. Candido hits a neckbreaker. Storm comes off of the top rope with a plancher to the floor. Candido then baseball slides Storm into the first row of fans. Candido gets to the top turnbuckle, slips out and just about hits a dive to the front row on Storm. The fans chant ECW in response. Storm takes a run up on Candido and gets hit with a nice power slam. Candido drops a standing elbow, but Storm gets his foot on the ropes. Candido goes for another pin. Storm kicks out and Candido goes, Oh, bullshit! Well, in, in American, obviously. Storm comes off to the top with a drop kick for a two. Candido hits a power bomb, holds it for a pin, but Storm kicks out. Storm blocks a superplex, hits a float over sunset flip off of the top. Candido blocks a pin into his own and almost gets it. Storm hits a nice springboard back elbow from the second rope but only gets a two. Candido hits a power bomb. The crowd heat is flattened out a little bit. We go to the top. Candido hits a super bomb and picks up the win. I'm now waiting for Candido to grab the mic to tell Storm how great he is and how they had one hell of a match and that he respects him. But for once, that doesn't happen. Kieran? Um, this was just so technically good. This was the match I was looking forward to the most when I saw it on paper. Um, they give them like 15, they've been like nearly 15 minutes. Um, you get to see the best bits of both guys. Um, I especially liked sort of some, not some out of character stuff, but there was a bit where Candido dives from the top 
um, because it kind of looked a bit scrappy, and uh, he, he kind of looked like he just went, "Oh, sod this! I'm just going. I'm just going to try and finish this guy off with one move." Storm just, like I said, just technically sound. Um, not quite. I, I didn't think the crowd was didn't get into it all straight away. It took a while to warm up, but it's not again not a classic match. Love the finish. Um, I love the work they did, and I think going forward, the maybe not the next match, but maybe the match after, if they sort of have like a trilogy, maybe like a, you know, like um, Guerrero Malenko were having. I think there's real potential. These guys are going to put on a classic sooner or later. I think. Chris, I pretty much have to agree with Kieran. This was an amazing match. Um, this, I would say, is is the match of the month. Um, Obviously, it's not been shown on pre-TV yet, so if you can get a copy of the video, then go ahead. Um, it basically just keeps emphasising the point that Candido is amazing and <laughs> how how the Fed fucked up so badly with him, I cannot understand. You add Storm to any match and you're going to get like, a perfect in-ring fundamentals because that's what Storm does the best. The fact that he bounced around for Candido and between the two of them, they they will just throw so much shit into it and it works. These two are the sort of people that are really the future of wrestling. And I I would say I'd like to see them on a bigger stage in a Fed or in even in WCW showing this off. But we know that both of them, they would be just sort of, as Bob said earlier with Lynn and... Uh, credible because it would be in the middle of Nitro between a NWO segment and a Ric Flair segment or if it was on Raw it would be between Sean and Hunter talking and Bret Hart talking people wouldn't remember it or wouldn't even care so to get the best out of them obviously we do need to keep them here in ECW but more people should be seeing this and seeing what in 1997 can be done in wrestling and it's on their doorstep yet you know you don't have to see the few minute squash matches that you get on Raw or you know the NWO destroying someone just because you know they're the NWO they have to win everything it's it's things like this that make me love wrestling yeah I think part of the reason why WWF didn't get it with Chris Candido is because he's so small um one of the things that ECW both overlook and tend to do while hiding is that you know that some of their acts are quite short. But we'll see it later on with Taz. Um, Taz gets in the ring. It's like, oh yeah, Taz isn't a big dude. But you you know the fact that the fact that you only see it once every six months is testimony to how well they frame and present him. And I think it's similar with Candido. Um, you know, I suspect also that it helps that you know ECW generally can present their way around the situations where they come in. But one thing that Heyman doesn't seem to do very much, he doesn't seem to bring in tall wrestlers. You don't get many, you know, you don't get many guys here that are above more than kind of six foot, six foot two. So it means that you've got someone like Candido, I think he's kind of five nine, five ten. They look small, they look undersized, but they don't look short. Um, I think that's predominantly one of the reasons why a guy like Candido struggles in the WWF. Yeah, this is really good. Um, you know, Candido again. You know, we've had two clean, two clean victories in a row with with four very good wrestlers. Like I could see next month them, them kind of flipping these two matches over. 
Next up, it's Bam Bam Bigelow versus Spike Dudley. Again, is the my literally my first reaction. Bam Bam says, who wants a little retard? He wants to know if the fans are good enough to surf Spike around the arena. Bam Bam picks up Spike but drops him on the mat. Fans are actually, actually chanting, we want Spike, as in they want Bam Bam to throw him to them. Bam Bam ragdolls him. Spike rallies with a clothesline off of the top, then drop kicks him to, through the timekeeper's time table. Spike grabs a chair. Fans chant, we want Sandman. Spike comes off of the top with a chair and hits, hits Bam Bam, who barely kicks out. He goes for it again, but Bam Bam moves. Bam Bam hits a suplex on the chair, picks Spike up, and then launches him into the second row. ECW fans crowd serve him a bit until one of the security can't get him over a gap where the uh, fire exit is. Bam Bam hits a splash on the top, and that will do that. Bama picks up Spike again after the match and locks him into the crowd and I think they've dropped him. Chris? Well, as someone who knows a lot about crowd surfing, <laughs> this could at least be fun to be uh, launched into a crowd and sort of, you know, bounced around a bit. This whole match was literally just to build that that spot, which, you know, I'm not going to complain. You know, it was a fun spot to watch. But I could deal with not seeing these two again because uh, in ring, it, it's not good. Uh, no, in ring is a bit of a mismatch, isn't it, Goon? This was pants. It just, it literally all it was building up was to see the smaller guy chucked into the crowd, and I suppose because maybe that spot was there because they knew the. The match wasn't going to be up to snuff. The crowd had the, you know, there was a chance the crowd were going to just shit all over it if they tried to do anything other than what they did. So I suppose the spot they actually picked, like Chris said, was actually quite a, a good one. But I'm not going to say that as in the match was good. It was probably just a good spot because then the crowd would just forget, they'll forget the fact that what they just saw was an absolute train wreck. It weren't good. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a perception thing, isn't it? Like I. You know, they've done this match three times now, and I... What have the others been like, just as a matter of... Similar. I, I the one at the pay-per-view where um, Spike bladed, and then Bam Bam picked him up for a press slam, and Spike was pouring blood out of his forehead. Oh, that, was a, that, was, that was a great look. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just think it's strange that we talk about ECW's, you know, guys with lack of size and guys with lack of credibility. Bam Bam's got both. I wouldn't keep putting him in there with Spike. It didn't help that like Bam Bam kind of you know pissed about with him for a bit, then then got you know got him behind and then got 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 back in control. They launched him into the crowd. And the crowd surfing was shit. Like it, like they got him up there for about ten seconds and they you know and then they kind of fell in the gap between two of the sections. And they do it after the match and they dropped him. And it's like oh, I don't know. Like, to me, the Spike's fine as fodder. I just. You keep putting Bam Bam out there with him. It's not going to drag Spike up. It's going to drag Bam Bam down. I think that's the that's the big problem that we've got. Anyway, your next fight being Fisher Fry. Shane Douglas with Francine versus Phil Lafon with Doug Furness. Douglas takes credit for, quote, putting a 53-year-old piece of shit out of pasture, which gets a lot of applause, actually. That's obviously about Terry Funk. He says, Rude can't win us tonight as he's working with the WWF. That's true. He's in London. Lafon comes out and Douglas shits himself. Fans chant, welcome back. Douglas wants Furnace as he's injured. He can thank Sid for that. Furnace says they've been in the WWF 11 months, but he didn't think he'd have to come to ECW to find a bigger pussy in the business. And no, he doesn't need Francine. 
The form starts out hard, sending Douglas to the floor, then a suplex in the ring. With the action static in the ring, fans shout, she's a whore, Francine. LaFawn works Douglas in the corner, then attempts a trio of crucifix pins, followed by a super kick that didn't really connect. LaFawn goes for the corner by the ropes, and Francine just slaps him in the face. LaFawn goes for a sleeper, Francine gets in the ring and low blows him in front of the ref. Style says there's a no disqualification clause in the contract, like that matters in ECW, or ignore the fact that this match was made four minutes ago. Douglas impressively hits what Styles calls an inverted rolling neck snap onto the horizontal of the farm. That looks good. The fans show their appreciation for it by chanting, she's got herpes. Douglas goes for a camel clutch. Lafon rallies and do- drops Douglas face first on the turnbuckle. He then hits a senton from the second rope for a two. Lafon hits the tiger driver. The ref is stood there and forgets to start the count. Seems to be part of the story as Furnace distracts the ref. Francine gets on Lafon's shoulders, who throws her to the mat and hits a pretty good tiger driver. Lafon then pins Douglas, who kicks out. Candido comes out. Lafon cuts him off, and Furnace and him hit a double team back body drop, and then Furnace hits the suplex on him. Out comes Bam Bam Bigelow. Furnace takes care of him too. In the carnage, Douglas regains control and goes for a spinning toe hold, and we get a bridging pin for Douglas, and that will do that. Kieran, uh, I mean, I look, I'm a massive, massive fan of Shane Douglas, and I was a bit surprised that they put the the title match in the middle of the car. But I suppose, in retrospect of what they actually did with the finish, I suppose it made sense. It was. It, <sighs> It was okay, it just could have been so much more and I just think, again, it's something that I don't like about wrestling generally it's just the overbooking you know, overbooking of endings and finishes um, so I suppose similar to one of the earlier matches I can, like with the Just Incredible match and the Jerry Lynn match, I can appreciate what they're trying to do and I'm not doubting the effort that was put in by the two guys, but it just seemed like the execution was just slightly off, but again it was it was. It was a decent match, but I think it could have been a lot better. Chris? See, I'm upset. I, I liked this. I think it was a really, really good match. Um, obviously, with Shane being the chicken shit heel who we're meant to hate, him having the triple threat come down and sort the match out for him is what we should really be getting. Um I like these open challenges. It's sort of mixing it up. It means that we're not sort of set in a sort of standard storyline machine, which means that other people can have more time on them. Yes, again, we are at that point where the title really doesn't mean a lot, but in a way it does because we're getting new challenges coming in for the title. You know, we've had Al Snow, who's come in from the Fed for it, Lafon now coming in from the Fed for a title match against ECW. It, it builds the title a bit that way, um, and I, I liked it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying these these open challenges. Yeah, I think the the story they're going for is that they're attempting to build Douglas up by saying that Rick Rude is is bringing in a, a range of challenges to to challenge Douglas, which makes sense. Um, and Lafon would certainly fit that bill. And so apparently he was bought in on, a, or they were both bought in, Furnace and Lafon, as a uh, kind of six to eight week deal just for ECW to help them gain a little bit of edge, so that WWF can kind of you know boot them back in again, give them on quite a bit of money on a on a three year contract um, in uh, up north, up north, well, yeah, up north. Um, yeah, this match was fine. Uh, Douglas is, you know, Douglas. 
Douglas is not a guy you can rely on to have a good match in with a good worker. Like, he's too sloppy, he's too, you know... I don't know I don't, whether it's injuries that aren't aren't helping. You know, I don't think he's got a great move set, which is a really weird criticism of the wrestler. It's not the kind of thing you'd say very often. But I don't know what wrestler Shane Douglas is trying to be. And every time he tries to be something, invariably it looks really clunky. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously we, we say all that against the fact that the, the character is very over, which helps. Um, you know, I don't know that it's great. We're talking about Douglas as the ECW champion. He's on the middle of the card. Um, as much as this was just an open challenge, I, I would have thought you would have pushed this higher up the card if it wasn't in the main event. Um, it was fine. Douglas is okay. Like, you know, if they're, as has been the case before, you know, as has sometimes was the case with Douglas, you know, when he when he had the title in 94. Sometimes it does feel like you're going to have a situation where Douglas is going to be the champion, yet ECW's main focus is going to be about three or four other storylines, which is okay, um, you know, but, but, but there we are. We move on. Next to the Pitbulls come out. Um, apparently, this this happened all quite last minute, kind of on the day of the show. Apparently, they were owed some money, um, and uh, I think it was Wolf, Gary Wolf, who kind of called Heyman and said, "Can we come in and do this shot?" And this came together real last minute. They wheel out Lance Wright, who's in a neck brace following the angle on TV a couple of weeks ago. Fans, to their credit, chant, "Just say no" at the Pitbulls, which is fantastic. Obviously, following the uh, Pitbulls uh, Pitbulls drug tra- drug charges from a few months ago. Pitbull 1 claims they were set up and it was the ECW fans that did it he says they were hanging out by the pool with McMahon and my notes just say this promo is so bad it can only be set up for a Sandman running but it didn't he, he says that McMahon offered them big money he says there was a point he wants to make that this company is full of paper champions he calls Taz a piece of shit midget he's been going on for what feels like hours here and says nobody will take the challenge I'm assuming Taz will beat both of them here Taz comes out and the fight begins Pitbull 2 hits a big powerball on him it's not clear if this is a match or not Taz blocks a punch hits a T-bone suplex then puts in a Taz mission Taz points to right and says you motherfucker you're going to die he walks up to him and kicks him over in his wheelchair he props up a table against the guardrail then belly to belly suplexes right through it a fan leans over the guardrail and shoves uh, and shoves uh, and Taz shoves him given that the camera work missed it it might not be a work uh, but security uh, but as it turns out, security guys get in the ring with Taz, so it definitely is a work. A reminder, if nothing else, that Taz is really short compared to two normal-sized security guys. Taz takes down the cop with an arm bar, and then the ring storm with security and wrestlers as they come out to the ring. Sabu comes out and slaps Taz. Out comes Bill Alfonso, and they're all brawling. Taz escapes with his title, and Sabu lays waste to the remainder of the BWO before the next match. Um, Kieran, I felt this was a little bit of a mess. Yeah... It could have gone somewhere if if you if your man the pitbull didn't wobble on saying the same. Mark, it's like if the guy's that limited, on might script something for him because he just went the same going about the WWF and going about McMahon and then uh, it, and then, it wasn't the worst rambling promo of the night. If that's any praise, uh, it is. All right then. All right then. I'll give him that. He wasn't as shit as one of the other ones. But um, yeah, it was all just a, it was all just a bit of a mess at the end. I didn't really I didn't really take anything away from this. Chris, I enjoyed the pitbulls at the beginning. You know, using the real life situation to turn them into heels because obviously that that talk of 
you know, the, the ECW fans not caring or even sort of worry about them when they're on the drug charge would be really cool. Um, Taz squashing people is pretty much what Taz does. The end, I, I suppose it's a, it sort of means that everyone who's there gets a, gets a purpose and gets to come out and be seen by the fans. You know, nice to see the BWO. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty sort of lackluster and, and messy. Yeah, um, I, I don't really know what they were necessarily trying to do, but there we are. It sort of got Taz on the card. Um, you know, as I say, the, the Pitbull thing came together last minute, so maybe this was the, the best they could scramble together. I'm assuming they would have done a, an angle with Taz and, and Wright anyway, and this kind of snowballed off the back of it. Um, but yeah, was there it was. Anyway, moving on. To the Sandman with Bill Alfonso, sorry, sorry, yeah, Sabu with Bill Alfonso versus the Sandman. Sandman has a cane in hand, he goes swinging, misses, and Sabu hits him with a chair. Sabu hits a slingshot rolling leg drop, Sabu vaults off of a chair into a hurricane runner, surprising lack of heat for this so far. Sabu hits a diving shoulder tackle into Sandman on the floor, who hits the guardrail. Sabu does a running attack onto the guardrail, this is a shocking lack of intensity so far. Sandman gets the table and suplexes it onto the Sabu. He drapes Sandman and Sabu on the guardrail and hits a guillotine leg drop from the apron. Sandman fucks off. He usually comes back with a ladder in circumstances like this and true to form, that's exactly what he's got with him. Suplexes the ladder onto Sabu. Back in the ring, Sandman dumps the ladder onto Sabu then hits a rolling senton, sandwiching the ladder between himself and Sabu. Sandman props the ladder in the corner and suplexes Sabu onto it. The crowd are back alive for this now. Someone puts the ladder on Sabu again, then there's a rolling senton from the top rope. Holy fuck, that was good. Sandman gets a cane, just smashes Sabu in the head with it. Fonzie gets in the ring and wraps the chair around Sandman's head. Sabu gets in the corner, Sandman lines up with a cane shot, but as he goes for it, Sabu throws a fireball in Sandman's face. Sandman's blind again. Medical staff and officials storm the ring and lead Sandman away. Fans chant, Sabu sucks dick, Sabu sucks dick, over and over again. Chris? Well, it was what you'd expect it to be. Weapons, stunts, and a fireball spot that I haven't seen done in a long, long while, and Done really well, actually, uh, surprisingly, with the fireball spot. Um, the the talk of this being the first match between Sabu and Sandman one-on-one surprised me that we've not had these two in a singles match before. Um, but I'm pretty much sort of looking back at stuff. I, I don't remember them having a singles match, so it really could be the first one. Um, you'd think that these two styles would work really well together, you know, the fact of they both do set pieces and, you know, weapons are always involved. But it all felt really clunky. Sure. Yeah, uh, just to piggyback off that, I just think they could have, I think what Chris might be alluding to is, what I think is, they could have just built to stuff better. It, it it felt a bit weird that Sabu started off strong and then it was Sandman on offence for like the rest of the match and then the fireball spot. I just felt that something was a bit off. Maybe it was like the way the match was put together. Like the, the, the little individual stunts 
weapon shots and all that and were really good, but when you put it together, it it didn't quite gel. Like maybe something was wrong with the structure of the match. I'm not quite sure, but it wasn't terrible because some of the stuff they're doing was like some of the stuff Sandman was doing was just like I was, at points I really was wincing. So you know they probably got that. That was the effect they were going for. Somebody watching it, I just thought. When it, when it actually came together, this wasn't as good as what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was really good. Um, you know, Sandman is the feastal famine type act in that usually it's famine. Um, and, and even when it's feast, it's still not very good. But um, for once, he tried a lot. And for once, he got almost all of it right. Um, and that sent on from the top. It was brilliant. Like, like, Sabu was right in the middle of the ring. He had a long way to go. And it's like... Yeah, and we're talking about a guy that can't throw a leg drop, let alone a you know, a, a move where he's gonna do effectively like a three quarter somersault. Um and went right over it and that really got the crowd into it was, was Sabu Saman kind of dicking about. Um and yeah, this feud's kind of started and it's moving. Um we saw that last month. The finish kind of keeps both of them going. And yeah, it's a, it's an interesting pairing. I feel like Sabu could bring the best out of Sandman. And I feel like it's a, for once it feels like a, a Sandman storyline that is compelling against an act that's compelling. And it feels like if you're talking about the two extremes of ECW, two extremes of extreme, I feel like these two guys are it and they kind of complement each other in a really funny kind of way. Um, match was, as I say, it took a while to get going. I was surprised that when it started, that the crowd weren't really into it, given how tenured both of these guys are. Um, but Sandman brought it round. Um, you know, interesting to interesting to see where they go next. Also interesting that, you know, the fireball, it was the first fireball spot since they, they had that big incident with uh, with Cactus Jack a couple of years ago, where they kind of lit a, a bit of cloth on fire or a chair, and they swung the chair, and the cloth kind of, like, got kind of released and, and went into the crowd. Like they said, right, we're never doing fire again. And the old uh, uh, exploding whatever it was or something like that that didn't work either. Um, but yeah, in um, you know, interestingly they brought that back. Decent little match. I thought, Chris, any more? No, it, it said, um, I think put these two together again um, with what they know how to work around each other a bit more now, obviously, after this one. You'd imagine you'd get a much better match. Yeah, give it a bit definitely pull out the best in. I mean, for, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but definitely from my end, that is the best I've ever seen Sandman. I think from what I can remember. I mean, I've watched, you know, a lot of the stuff, like the Mikey Whitwreck stuff and all that. I never really bought into Sandman, but I, I think I think you said it, Bob. I think these two guys just bring out something else in each other, maybe because of their stature within ECW and within this, this form of wrestling itself, I get the feeling that these guys will bring the best out of each other if, it, if they go to another match because they're going to constantly try and one-up one up each other. And I think that's why you got the fireball spot because they knew they had, they knew the potential was there to have a really good match and they thought, well, we need something, you know, an icing on the cake or let's bring back a fireball spot. So I think going forward, I think if they have some more matches, um, it, it will only get better. Move on next to Rob Van Dam and Bill Alfonso versus Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicutty. Dreamer charges at Van Dam with a chair and hits a low bow before sending both Tommy to the outside. Dreamer puts Van Dam on the guardrail and comes off of the apron with a chair and hits him with it 
Drew does an interesting bit of a rubbish, uh, if a bit rubbish, neck snap where Van Damme hits a chair in front of him and then bounces back into another. Van Damme hits a jumping spin kick onto the ref holding a chair. Dreamer then DDTs Van Damme. Dreamer comes off at the top with a splash. There's no ref and out comes Sabu. Fonzie holds a chair either side of Dreamer's head. Van Damme comes off with a turnbuckle to kick one side and Sabu the other. They lay Dreamer on a table and go for opposing turnbuckles. They come off and put Dreamer through it. Van Damme grabs the uh, Van Damme grabs the mic. He says he doesn't need a match like this and has better things to do. Apparently, the idea was they were both going to stick around, but Dreamer got injured, um, and so they took him away. And then they just, well, you know, interesting enough, left the uh, left Fonzie and Bueller to it. So Bueller, who's probably never looked more attractive than in an oversized tee with ring gear, turns out the t-shirt was carrying up an oven tray, which he smashes Alfonso over the head. Alfonso does a blade job, did a significant oh. blade oh, job. Oh, Bob. Uh, oh, no, so, so, so uh, reports are it was the most anyone has ever bled in the ECW arena. Um, apparently, he cut a vein. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, th- things you don't want to do. Um, that's one of them. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, anyway, where are we? That's right. Uh, so yeah, Alfonso plays is covered in blood for the rest of the match. We go to the floor. Bueller goes through Dreamer's greatest hits by smashing him into the guardrail a few times, and out comes the frying pan. She takes the swing, but Fonzie hits a low blow. I guess then another. It's all Fonzie now. Fonzie goes for a suplex. Bueller blocks it and hits the DDT, but Alfonso kicks out. Bueller does a knife edge chop. Fonzie counters it and does one himself. Fonzie goes to the top. Bueller pushes him off into a tree of woe. She puts a chair in front of his face and does a running drop kick. Bueller goes to the top. Fonzie sets her a powerbomb and Bueller hits a hurricane runner for the win. That was great. Kieran? Um, well, the, the first bit of it, I didn't really, the RVD dream stuff, I didn't, would, didn't really get anything out. But I thought, for two, this is as good as I've seen two non wrestlers fight. They knocked absolute Fonzie and Bueller knocked absolute seven bells of shit out of each other. I mean, the, for two guys like RVD and Dreamer, for the crowd to then go from like two guys like that to then, but then the crowd for when Fonzie it was it was like rabid. The intensity of the shots that Fonzie and Bueller were giving each other, I've just I, I, I was pretty shocked. But then Jesus Christ, that blade job. Uh, that was just that was it was like a bloody horror film that was like he cut his entire you know like he'd gone straight across the top of his forehead like all, it was just it was just pissing me blood so that was tough to watch but it added it added so much to the match it, I'll say it, I'll say it now before we say that I kind of fall between with blade jobs now obviously I know he he might be a bit inexperienced with blade jobs. But my God, a bit. I think somebody needs to. Somebody might need to give him a bit of a few pointers of what he needs to do next time. Because fair play to him, as, as like I said, as a as a non wrestler to be do a blade job in the first place, but then to want to do one like that, then not to like shit yourself and actually carry on with the match. Fair play, fair play to Fonzie. He's my God because. It, like I said, it's one, it's one thing to be a non-wrestler and to do a blade job, but then to do a blade job and have that happen to you is just just horrific. But I really, really, really enjoyed this. Didn't didn't expect to, and I think the the crowd added a lot to this because of the intensity of it. Chris, I 
pretty much have to agree with what Kieran just said, you know, for two people that can't wrestle, we got a spectacle out of them. Um, Fonzie's selling is so, so good. The way that he bounces around and takes everything. Yeah, he, he's clearly sort of been around wrestling long enough that he knows the good way of selling and how to sort of do it and do it well. And can he? Um, I'm not sure which Blade job was worse, this or Spike from last month, but I would imagine that Fonzie needed a transfusion after this. Well, at least he was a big of a press slam, I'll tell you that. There is that, at least he didn't get picked up and lobbed into the crowd gushing with blood. Um, you know, the beginning of it, obviously, if, if Tommy was legitimately hurt sort of going into the match, the way that they finished that with RVD and Sabu jumping him is the perfect way in story to get him off the show, yet him still be on the show. And as Kieran said, the, the crowd were baiting for Fonzie to get his ass kicked. It was basically re- recognition of what the gladiatorial days must have been like, because Fonzie and that fucking whistle have been the bane of everyone's existence for so fucking long. They want to see him get his fucking ass handed to him. Yeah, this was excellent. Um, you know, talk about... I don't know exactly what they had planned here. Like, uh, Dreamer got injured, but it... You know, it's not like Tommy Dreamer to, to, to walk off in, in an injury spot or whether it was just worse than they thought. And, you know, um, it sounds like that Alfonso and Bueller had a few things planned out. Whether they quite had as much as they did, I don't know. Um, but this match got better when the the two main guys cleared out. Um, it was really good. That was a really surprisingly coherent final third of a match with a lot of heat, a lot going on. Um I hope Alfonso doesn't cut himself any time soon. They, I think he did end up going to the emergency room. Uh, I think they patched him up, all right. So that's okay. Um, but yeah, like Buna doing her dreamer impression kind of works. Um, and yeah, it's a really fun match with some surprisingly good spots. Um, finishing it with a hurricane runner of all things. Fucking hell. Um, really fun to watch. Uh, you know, and again, I, I think it's we speak more generally, like, you can do things like this when you've got an undercard full of more solid workers. That's sometimes where they struggled. They try and, you know, they'll, they'll have an undercard that's flat and then they'll do these gimmick matches and there's not really much there for you. Um, but this is, uh, this worked out really quite well. Uh, we move on next. Uh, Devon has the mic in the ring with Guy, Big Dick, Bubba and Joel Gertner. Fans just slowly serenade them with, fuck you, fuck you. Gertner gets an NFL reference in, shows off a Dallas Cowboys shirt. We get some jokes with Devon and Bubba. Gertner runs down the pit bulls, quote, I guess you could say they kind of lost their juice. He runs down the tag teams with a very degree of humour. Basically, there's no tag teams that can hang with the Dudleys. So it takes us to the Dudleys, Bo Ray and Devon, with Joel Gertner, Big Dick and Sign Guy versus, well, the intro takes so long, I actually have to stop typing it. Gertner introduces Devon at £200, which quite rightly gets some laughter from Styles. He says Cronus has decided to put some chocolate in his peanut butter. They're called the Gangstanators. That's whatever that is. Anyway, we, we actually can find it. That intro took forever, by the way. It's about 10 minutes long. 
Uh, the Dudleys, Bo Ray and Devon Dudley with Joel Curtin, a big dick and side eye versus the gang Stanators, John Cronus and New Jack. We get the usual musical accompaniment as New Jack and Cronus come out with the usual bin of weapons. Cronus gets Curtis in the top match, by the way. This is your typical weapons brawl. Bo hits Cronus with a stop sign. New Jack has a table on the outside. He ends up on the platform above the exit and does a running dive through the table on Devon. Back in the ring, Bubba hits a running bulldog onto Cronus, but New Jack dives in and breaks it up. Devon's back, he hits a crutch shot and a kick. New Jack leather sign guy with a guitar which disintegrates into powder. Cronus comes off of the top with a 450 splash onto Devon to win the ECW tag team titles. Chris? This is the greatest hits of both the Eliminators and the Gangsters and any match they've had with the Dudleys. You know, you've got New Jack doing what New Jack does best, smashing people with stuff around their heads and jumping off balconies. You've got Cronus doing what he does best, 450 splashes and kicks. And the Dudleys I, I just keep making more and more heat for themselves. The way that Gertner talks about them and just... They are probably the most hated people in that arena other than... Fonzie, uh, that is that is such nuclear heat that they all have, and they don't really need belts, you know, to get the where they are, and they can quite easily sort of go on a chase, and you know what you're going to get with these, and if you like this style, which I do, you'll like it. If you don't like weapons brawls, it's not for you, and you're never going to like them. So it's sort of, you know, you either sit on that side, but side of that fence you sit on. But I like them, and I think this was good. Kieran? Yeah, I'm on that other side of the fence, unfortunately. There's just like, I've seen too many of these now, especially to finish shows where there's just no, there's no, there's no flow to it. There's no, like, storytelling. There's no, there's no real drama involved because... You pretty much know that it's going to be weapons, weapon, weapons, built to a massive spot off a balcony, diving onto a guy through some tables. Um, and somebody needs to turn off the damn jukebox and all, because there's like I'm sure there's like music going on throughout the entire thing, and that was getting on me nerves. The promo before the match didn't do anything because it was nearly twice as long as the match itself, and it didn't need to be. So I was already like, oh god, I sort of know what I'm going to get. If the promo could have been a bit bit shorter, then maybe it wouldn't have affected my view that much. But I just, I, I just, I just don't like this sort of thing. That's just it. Bit of personal, yeah. Bit of personal. Like we said, a lot of it's per, per, personal preference because I can't watch an ECW show and go, oh, amazing wrestling, and then not expect to have a brawl somewhere. Do you know what? Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm. I'm not sort of naive to the fact that I know I'm going to get this sort of match. It's just it seems to be it seems to play out the same way each time. That's... Yeah, I, I just think that um, you know, as I say, I come back to what I said earlier. Like you, you can have a main event like this once you've had an undercard like you've had, and it doesn't feel too bad. This is exactly the kind of match I'd expect in this kind of spot. I didn't even mind the musical bit at the end because it's it, it's kind of the. Yeah, it's the the gangster style. I think that's kind of the the, the bit they give them with that. And you know, it was admittedly it, the, the music and the relentless pace and the editing kind of you know completely devoid it of drama. It would have been a completely different match live in the arena, um, which 
perhaps was probably a mistake. Um, in fact, it probably was a mistake, actually, I would argue, um, given that this could have been a more significant moment. You know, they, they, they could have done a lot more building up those two teams, or building up the new team, sorry, to, to, to go up against the other team. Um, but yeah, it was fine. You know, it's an interesting switch. Uh, it's an interesting pairing. I'd really like to see Kronos go alone. Um, I think he's good enough to do it. Um, but then again, I don't know what they do with, with, with New Jack. I mean, you know, theoretically it's possible they could just create, you know, create a new set of gangsters with New Jack and someone else. I don't know whether that would work or whether you'd even want to. Um, Are you trying to say that, you know, Mustafa would be interchangeable with any other black bloke? No, not not inherently. I'm just saying that, you know, you can in theory create eliminators with someone else. Like, you know, they're not a tag team that specifically has to be the two guys. And I don't know how effective New Jack would be as a as a singles act. Um, he's entertaining enough, uh, and it could work, but equally, you know, and what part of the reason that Mustafa fell out with ECW was that Mustafa was teaming up with someone else under the new Jack under the gangster's name. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 theoretically possible, but no, I'm not just saying find another black man and put him with New Jack. I'm just saying if you can find another character that will fit with him, it might have made more sense to stick Cronus alone and put New Jack in another tag team rather than having both of them go alone. But there we are. That's just fine. It's all right. Um, there we are. And that will wrap up the uh, show review. Uh, Chris, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten. Well, seeing the fact that I gave. Props to last month's pay-per-view, and this was much, much better than it. There's only one way I can really go. It has to be a nine. It wasn't that good, was it? Yeah. Well, seeing the fact that it was better than last month, and I gave last month an eight. I've... Yeah, but that, yeah, but you completely overblew. You blew your low last month. I mean, there's no way that was an eight. Like you know, you're maybe you're paying for your sins, but I, I, I wouldn't. Oracle blade job. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't follow a mistake with another mistake. But you, you, are, you are in touch. You don't don't give the show a nine just because it was one better than last month. That's all I'm saying. All right, I'll give it an eight again. Right. So it wasn't better than last month. It was. Right. Eight and a half. Brilliant. Right. I knew he was going to do that. Set that up. Set that up. All um, right, Chris, Chris, you like, last month was not an eight, Chris. You can, <laughs> no, you, can, you can change your rating for last month's show if that can accommodate rating this more correctly. All right, I'll, put, I'll give last month back to a five and then this gets a seven. Right. That's that's a bit more like it. And fucking eight. You were, you, you, you were as high as Lance Wright was last month giving that show an eight. Let's say that. Uh, Kieran, what do you think? I, I thought this was, this was really decent. This is one of the better ones that I've seen. Um, really good stuff across the board. There was only like really one major duff point, which was the Bam Bam Spike thing. So I'd give it a solid seven and a half out of ten. Yeah, um, I'll go. I'll go with a, a, a seven. Um, this is a enjoyable show to watch. It, it's nice when ECW hit the reset button because, as I say, because their roster's so small, you tend to see the same kind of match involving the same kind of guys over and over again. So it's nice when they can inject some new blood and kind of show us some some more, um, you know, give us reasons to be optimistic. Um, and yeah, like, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the next run of ECW, uh, a, a new wave of guys. And I'm interested to, to see what they do next. Um, and I, I think probably one of the better ECW shows of the year in terms of ring ring quality, in terms of, you know, there wasn't much of your characters that weren't necessarily over all that much, but felt like their, 
they were going somewhere, and that's always kind of what you uh, what you want with ECW. Um, and that will really do it. Um, there is nothing on TV in the final two months we haven't already covered. In the TV for the final two TV, two TV shows of the month, I believe will end up being the first show next month. Is all just as good as it gets. They don't throw anything else in. So uh, that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. I'd like to thank Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, thank you very much. Cheers, Bob. Chris, thank you for having me. Uh, Kieran, you can be found on Twitter. I can at the uh, ever distinguishable Jotun Thrash six six six. Excellent. And Chris Lacey, Chris, thank you very much. You're welcome. As always, you know I do enjoy watching ECW. And tell us about, well, I've forgotten how many things you need to promote these days, but the the floor is yours. So, firstly, we have, if you like music, then you can follow Show and Tell with Tunes, um, where I basically pick ten songs and play them with guest hosts and odds and sods. So, you know, always something different on there. metal in there, Chris? As always. Always metal. I didn't even know you did a music show, mate. Shows yeah. how much Kieran's been listening to this show in the last few months. Well. I know. It's been going since uh, February. <laughs> it's not like Chris likes it every time he's on. But... Oh, right. I'm going to make. Well, that's it for me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we've uh, also Super Rules, if you want to hear us, my musings of old school WCW. Uh, we are at Full Brawl 93. You know, we've just had the Shockmaster. So we now get. Him not being a stormtrooper, but that weird stage where he's not Uncle Fred yet either. He's he's uh, not decided what his character is going to be, and uh, that can be found at Super Rolls. He's got that god awful finisher, hasn't yeah. he? Where he kind of gets them up in the bear hug and then just jumps on his knees. Yeah, and that's the finisher, and it's like just looks horrible for I the guy doing how it. How bad that finisher was! I need to, I need, I have to look at a video of that because I. Well, uh, Chris, if you're at uh, if you're at full brawl ninety three, that means you're close to battle ball ninety three. Um, yeah. you know, so uh, I, in some respects, good luck. If you could, you know, we may not see you after that show. If you were, you <laughs> know, it. It'll be um, on about Bob. He'll be giving that a nine, won't he? Well, that's true. And it, well, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't better than the ECW <laughs> pay last month. So in theory, he's got anything between zero and eight. Um, <laughs> but yes, God, Battle Ball ninety three. Oh, there we go. Uh yeah, some plugs and stuff. Uh, we're on Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to say thank you, um, you can do so at patreon.com dot slash wrestling twenty rest. Five bucks a month will get you early access to shows like these, uh, amongst other things. Uh, three other shows for you this month across two volumes. Volume number one takes WCW looking at full brawl. Volume two, part one takes the WWF looking at Ground Zero. Volume two, part two to the WWF looking at one night only from England. Uh, a reminder: you can find me on Twitter at Boy Bambi. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling Twenty YRS. Wrestling Twenty YRS dot com for all your links your blogs, your back episodes and everything else I've been Bob Bamba, this has been Volume 3 of the September 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast and until next time goodbye <laughs>